Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So why are we still watching Quentin Tarantino films even though he's, he's become so problematic? If he wasn't supremely talented, it wouldn't be an issue. We could just dismiss him. But he creates this world that's so playful. It's so hard to resist a filmmaker who's like, let me delight you. It's so iconic, you know, the the outfit, the fact that it's going to potentially be revisited. It was so different. It was so violent. It was really funny as well. The soundtrack was super cool. It is a peerless performance. I love me some Trinity in The Matrix. I love me some Sarah Connor. I love Ripley, but no one is working harder than Miss Thurman. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Flipswatcher Podcast. Today, we are joined by Jess. Hello. Carrie. Hello. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Kill Bill Volume 1. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. In our remote studio today, we have Jessica and Carrie. If you could please say hello and tell our listeners a little bit more about the podcast work that you do, please Carrie. Well, hello everyone. I'm Carrie. I host and and produce a podcast called Lights Carry Action and I do like 15-minute episodes reviewing three films with the through the lens of representation storytelling and nice cinematography i guess it's just me rambling and you know and people seem to like it so that's nice what kind of how do you choose how do you choose the films you have per episode and three films per episode is uh, for 50 minutes is pretty shocking it's it's pretty dense um i cuz i initially started it as there are so many films I had been meaning to watch and I got pretty bored of saying that to people being like, oh, that film, I've been meaning to watch that. So it started as a lockdown project Mm. and then it just rolled with it. And then eventually with the themes I was doing, I would do like a popular release or like the new release, a popular, vaguely recent release and maybe a classic. And normally when we go through films we try and be as diverse as possible so like i never really like an all-white male cast for like all of the films i'm like let's (laughs) let's um let's find other things i feel like you know enough of those stories have been told so So you're not working your way through the work the writing crashers or like you know you're not like a big vince vaughn gal (laughs) no absolutely not I think I watched, I think I watched like 10 minutes of The Intern. Is that the one with Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn? I was like, I feel like I've now just watched the whole film or like the quality of the rest of the film. I don't really need to watch anymore. But um, yeah, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It means I get to watch the films I've already 
been wanting to watch for years. So it's just been a fun passion project and people seem to like it. So yay, it's a fun time. And Jess, who are you? And tell us a bit about your podcast. Oh, um, well, I am an actor and lately a writer, thanks to the podcast I do, which is Best Pick, where we up until very recently watched and assessed every Best Picture winner in no particular order. But we have now completed that task. So now we're looking at films from a variety of different angles. And we have a book coming out uh, in the new year, February 15th, um, because we amassed a, a, an ungodly amount of research in three and a half years. So yeah. it feels wonderful to have something tangible to do with that. I'm yeah, one I mean, third I... of, um, I should say I'm one third of the team. So obviously I, I'm with uh, John Dorney and Tom Silsky. They are my cohorts. Yeah, John and John Dorian Thompson have been on the show before, uh, talking about Fargo. I can't remember what. Oh, yeah, Midnight Run. I think it was Tom Slinsky's choice as well. So, guys, if you want to listen to some of the best pick pod um, crew members, then do listen out for those other episodes. But it's a really, good, it's a really fun show, and yeah, the amount of, the amount of effort you guys put into each episode and what research you do so naturally, much I think, <laughs> lends itself to you know writing a book. Um, oh, thank at the you. end of it, so well done, guys! It wasn't so surprising. It's like yeah. Oh, thank you so much. No, we we've been really chuffed how people have have taken it to their hearts, and you know it's just great that we're people elect to listen to us so we're not boring our loved ones like it's definitely saved some relationships to have somewhere to put all this all this nerd uh all, all, all this hardcore nerddom that we engage in um today we're talking about a film that wasn't oh was it oscar nominated i can't remember we can talk about this in a second but we're talking about kill bill volume one which is your choice jess can you tell us first of all why you chose it and then i'll bring the i'll bring the stopwatch i'll bring the countdown up uh, and you have 60 seconds to give a synopsis. So I chose Kill Bill. I am a fan of Tarantino, even though that's a complicated thing uh, and an ongoing conversation with myself. <laughs> um, however, I I revisit Kill Bill a lot and I'm always astonished at how it holds up. I was also interested to revisit a film from like the early noughties, because if, you th if you're an 80s baby like I was, that was our 60s. Like, mm. in a way, you know, like that's looking back on it now, like in my head anyway, if I was born in the 80s, there was the 60s, 20 years before me. And I think about people born now and like it's a, such a it's a period film, even though it's sort of fantastical um, and just ha how it holds up. And yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot of complicated things to talk about. So, you know, yourself. But, but what it's about is uh, it's a very simple plot. It is basically uh, uh, we discover the bride who is a woman who has was a member of the Deadly Viper assassination squad and her mentor and the man who brought her on board and, and trained her up to be one of the world's deadliest assassins or tried to kill her, uh, tried to kill everyone she loved and take a bloody bloody revenge because she left him. And the film is about her doling out some payback five people <laughs> have it coming the the remaining members of the uh deadly viper assassination squad and their uh leader bill hence the title kill bill so i'd like to well jess you said it you have you have words with yourself about about quentin tarantino um it, it, it seems to be a tricky relationship with a lot of people helen i think you've got you've got a tricky relationship with Quentin. What, what are your thoughts on Quentin and, and Kill Bill Volume 1? So when this came out, I thought it was the best thing ever and I loved it so much and I thought Ema Thurman was amazing. I bought the soundtrack. I couldn't wait to get the DVD. I couldn't wait to see Part 2. I saw it in the cinema. I thought it was ah the best. It was 
violent. The soundtrack was awesome. It was amazing. And then was it in the last year or a couple of years ago when the story came out about Uma Thurman's experience on set um, with her being involved in the the stunt car crash and Tarantino acting out some of the acts on her. It made me a bit uncomfortable and kind of that and The Hateful Eight as well. My relationship with Tarantino has probably gone from being he's so cool like his films are amazing I love him he writes really great female characters to like but why must you spit in their faces and punch them and be so violent to them all the time so yeah it's it's very complicated so it was a very mixed experience um coming back to Kill Bill um volume one for me personally um so yeah that's me and Quentin <laughs> Carrie where, where do you sit with Quentin I, I suspect you're a bit younger Obviously, I'm not uh, trying to throw shade on Helen and, and Jess and I, but I suspect you're a bit younger than ourselves. Um, I, where, what's I, your relationship with Kill Bill? Nine, late 90s, baby. How um, dare you get out? Yeah, I have, a, I have a difficult relationship with Tarantino. I, we went on one day and he never texted me back. It was a really heart-wrenching... Classic um, Quentin. ...development. <laughs> yeah, classic Quentin. My feet weren't good enough for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have very much. <laughs> yeah, why not? He likes his feet, He does love feet. Yeah, that that is that is a very common in joke. That and um, I don't know if you were seeing like the press tour for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but there was a question about Margot Robbie's screen time or the lack of lines she has in the film, considering she was such a prominent figure of the. I've never, I haven't watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What's when? What decade is it set in? Sixties, sixties, it is sixties. Um, she was such an iconic figure in the sixties, and yet barely like appreciated her in the film and in response to that question tarantino literally just said i reject your hypothesis and now i just say that in every conversation <laughs> when people like try and roast me or call me out and be like i reject your hypothesis <laughs> um yeah i think like when i started knowing about tarantino it was it was this is showing my age. It was when like Inglorious Bastards was coming out, and when I was old enough, I was watching that with family, and I really what? enjoyed with that. Family? <laughs> it is... Oh, Inglorious Bastards, classic. But but Inglorious Bastards, Bastards is tremendous, cathartic fun. It and is actually, so and, great, and the female characters in that are, are pretty phenomenal. I mean, the, the the coolest character in the whole film is, is a woman, mm. um, Elsa. You know, uh, I, I I think for me, I wanted to see how I felt revisiting it because I don't think just because of the shitty shitty behaviour of a few men who should have known better and I'm, I'm not even counting Harvey and that that's a whole other level oh like, yeah I cringed when I I'm, saw I'm, them in the I'm, I'm, I'm talking about people who like aren't in prison aren't serving sentences um I'm saying that I don't do a you don't do a raise what Uma Thurman's achievement you don't want to erase and wipe out what Uma Thurman did in in cinema and I think that for there mm. to be a resurgence and a reappreciation and what is particularly interesting is that what's happening now is the film is almost being echoed in real life Quentin wants to direct another film about the bride starring Uma and her her daughter who's exactly the right age now is that Maya is that Maya yeah Hulk? yeah, yeah. She, yeah so so in a way the, this line comes up again and again in Kill Bill we have unfinished business you and I and I think that in a way Quentin has he's got to make his peace here he's got to make it up to her he's he's got an you know and I think it is on his mind and his career has suffered from when he you know she left his life 
essentially because of the traumas she suffered and it took years to process the trauma i was looking at like press junkets they were doing at the time and they were hogging for camera and it was sincere and it was meant and i think it took years for uma thurman to process what went down and and what happened to her um but but i don't think her achievement should be undermined or erased her incredible incredible like peerless i would say performance it is a peerless performance i love me some trinity in the matrix i love me some sarah o'connor and um or sarah connor showing my nationality there and i and i <laughs> throw, and i, and I love, in there <laughs> i love ripley but no one is working harder than miss thurman i think um this is this is a lot of the problem with it when where with nominally cancel culture or trying to you kick out a film or you kick out a project because of one person who's been badly behaved the erasure of the other people involved and you as an actress and you've worked in uh film and, and tv there's hundreds of people involved and it's, it's it's almost gutting that one person has caused a whole film to be written off i don't know louis ck for example i know i was really excited before we found out what a knobhead he was i was really looking forward to a film that, they, that was coming out that he'd written was and it directed. the secret life of pets no, that was not that good. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember what the name of the film was, but because... it was called "I Love You, Daddy." Yeah, <laughs> which I don't know if Ooh. I was looking for. I don't know if I was looking very for, poor to choice of wording. <laughs> to kind of speak to your point, though, Kobe, I think for me, my issues are with Quentin, not so much the film. I don't think it's a film that hates women. I think it's a. No. I I think you'd have to go a long way to find a film with with such an incredibly strong, diverse female cast, which it has, and 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 where they are complete badasses and incredible and nuanced and distinctive and all these things. It's, what's the agenda of the film? And I think the agenda of this film was like, let's kick ass. And, I, yeah. and I, you know, um, whereas I think the agenda of, say, some Wood, of Woody Allen's catalogue is to genuinely plant this seed. It's not a big deal if she's 15. It's not a big deal if she is young enough to be your friend's daughter. It's not a big deal. We're all grownups. It's cosmopolitan. It's New York. We're bohemians. Like, that's kind of an, that's an agenda that bleeds through the material. And that's, I think that it's a slightly that's, and that's completely true. And when we had Manhattan as one of the first films we talked about here, we, myself and Helen were like, I can't really deal with this. It's not, it's, this is too much. Um, but when we're talking about films like, like Kevin Spacey films, we see Kevin Spacey on screen is like, do you want to erase um, American Beauty? You might do, depending on what your thoughts on the film. Do you want to erase Seven? Do you want to erase um, Usual Suspects? Because one person was a complete tool and it's that, it's, it's how far you go uh, with that aspect. And I think, like you're right, you're saying Kill Bill here is one of the best ensembles of female characters on screen kicking ass, um, even better so than, you know, the end of Endgame, spoilers, where all the women, all the female uh, superheroes stand up randomly all together for no particular reason, apart from to say, hey, we're women here. But this is naturally like women kicking ass. It's literally foe smash the patriarchy feminism. It does literally yeah. nothing else. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and here she and suddenly really we does... have rights now because everyone stands up wow um, i'll tell you in this film she smashes the shit out of the patriarchy there are no dudes <laughs> left 100 percent. so yeah. just needed a bit of scalping that's, that's that solves everything <laughs> well let's talk about the kills in kill bill um because this is one of the things that's level against the, the kill bill particularly the first one this one is that it was very gory um i didn't on rewatch, I didn't think it was that. Good. I thought it was just it's not I thought that bad it was hella cartoonish. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's cartoonish. Like it's not like I think the m most was when I was watching Volume Two because I'd never seen Kill Bill, so I was like, I feel I would be ill-equipped if I hadn't seen both of them. So I feel like there's some details in Volume Two that are worse than what happens in Volume One, even though there's absolutely. way more 
like violence in the first one like it's just yeah as you said it's cartoonish it's like you could probably just call it like a red waterfall rather than you know intestines spilling out like so why are we still watching Quentin Tarantino films even though he's he's become so problematic and issue laden for us if he wasn't supremely talented it wouldn't be an issue we could just dismiss him but he creates this world that's so playful and as I rewatched it this time I was like it's so hard to resist a filmmaker who's like let me delight you like with the titles you know 13 hours later um, with the, the, the gag about her name you know her name being kind of dubbed over with this sound cue and her little nod to um um, Mrs. Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction when she goes very early on um, she goes would be about square and that's basically going hey guys hey guys thanks for thanks for showing up here today and and it's, <laughs> it's a warm embrace you know but it's really interesting because he was a very he was very burned by the response to Jackie Brown which I think is Stone Cold Masterpiece and a, and a fiercely feminist film in lots of ways um, uh, and his best female character, I think, as well, uh, in terms of kind of nuance. Well, I mean, it's between um, her and the bride, but at the same time, uh, it's in a re- it's a real world character. So, yes. So, so he came to this film with with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and I think that manifested a lot in the onset behavior. Egos run wild, pressure, stress, but then there's still this really playful film that came out of it. Helen, your thoughts on the gore of Kill Bill, Volume One. So um, I was I was rewatching it, and having recently uh, rewatched Only God Forgives, like Kill Bill is like Disney compared to that. So I think like definitely gore levels have got more acceptable. Maybe like you said, this is kind of like almost cartoony kind of gory. Uh, I think the the worst part in it is quite early on with the rape scene is the most uncomfortable part and even though I knew it was coming up I couldn't remember it being as uncomfortable as maybe the first time round or well, it's a I bit of a slice of hand as well because it's a bit like in Reservoir Dogs you don't see the ear getting cut off and you don't see Uma Thurman being raped it's alluded mm. to it's we know that she has been and I find it's a it's a thing you've never you never there's a, you've never seen a woman be raped in a Quentin Tarantino film you've seen a man being raped you've never seen a woman being raped mm. um, and he does talk about how he uses violence the way um, a director would use slapstick in his mind he does use rape and murder as plot devices and. The more unreal the world, I think, the more okay that sits with us. But when it when it's, I find the violence in the end of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler <laughs> because there's a lot of violence in that film. Like that's because it's kind of set in a time and space that is memorable. It's it's shocking. Mm. Like it's 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 not cart- cartoonish as you say. One big question we should ask: Kill Bill Volume One or Two? Just gone for two. Carrie. So I think volume one wins for like entertainment and like the dynamics, right? I think volume mm. two wins for script writing, like especially in like the last half an hour, 45 minutes. Like that's mm. when I'm like, oh, I feel like I can't explain any further without, without that, that, alluding that's, that's to a, a spoiler. Sound. But no, yeah. it gets very emotional. Uh, Helen, one or two? Um, I've seen one the most and I think the soundtrack for one is better than two. Um, so I'm going to slightly go towards two, but I don't think two, sorry, I'm going to, number one, 
And I don't think two is as bad as people remember it was. I think it's just the comparison of the two and maybe the gap. I would have quite happily watched them as one. I think I would have been prepared to see them in the whole film. They did release in 2011, like, it as one whole thing, um, I think titled The Bloody Massacre, and it's literally the entire film, like, as is, as a one thing, which I'd be interested in watching maybe at some point. Is that different as, is that different as literally just doing a double bill yourself with one and two? Yeah, but in this way, studios <laughs> make more money, Kobe. Come on. I was saying they've got one, volume one, and then they've got volume two, and then they've got volume one and two together, and with a slightly, with a different name, fine. Yes. Uh, I'm a volume two kid. <laughs> I'd say I, yeah. I love the I love the whole uh, training with Pai Mei. In oh, the jump, in the, in the, I in found the that really weird. Oh, I, I found it. it really like cart like un like unnaturalistically cartoonish. Like because everyone else is like a form of like character, whereas I felt like when watching that sequence, it was like I was watching a Saturday morning anime. It was really I think weird. That's probably what he wanted you to feel. I think that he's referencing uh, different cinematic styles, and and mm. actually, for for a guy who makes movies, he's a big TV guy, and lots of Kill Bill feels like TV. Um, but we'll we'll get to a small screen worth of it. I don't want to show my hand too soon, but I think that he um is it uh, is it Takeshi Kitano? Yeah, I think really inspires him as well in, in terms of the the quickness of the fights. I mean, the crazy eighty eight sequence that that goes on and on. But but the kind of the when it when the murders are very quick, they're very sudden and rapid and brutish. Um, the actual slayings with with uh, Vermita Green in the beginning, this epic knife fight. But the actual mm. the actual murder, the actual kill is it's 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 because it's it's one it's one second of a bad decision it's one second of dropping the ball that's when you take your shot and that's quite consistent throughout and i i i do i do love that i do think that it's it that keeps you surprising you mm. know one of my favorite things is um that's the, the fight with orin mm. one i think i watched that scene before in like a media studies class so i already like knew vaguely what happened in it but i heard the music the, the track after the flower of carnage and i was like i have heard that before and it's really annoying me where it is and then i found out it was from the film lady snowblood which is a fantastic samurai film from 1973 and i was like classic tarantino referencing a samurai film like oh just bringing it bring it all back to samurai i was like wow does for once i feel cultured he does want to give you treats, you know. He wants yep. to give you goodies. He wants to give you treats. He's a kid in a candy store, and he, he wants you to come <laughs> along and have fun, you know. Um, and I think it's interesting. Like I think actually, the character in um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it, it, I think that he, that he there's echoes of Tarantino in him in his kind of boyish stubbornness, and then there's a kind of a maturing because um, the. I saw him being giving a talk uh, in London and it was a very mellow man that sat before you, a very mellow, surprisingly humble dude on that stage that I was in double denim looking like a dad. You know, it was like, <laughs> oh, you've chilled the hell out and you've had a word with yourself. Okay, okay. I see that. I see that now. And as he was, you know, doing um, the podcast uh, circuit to promote his book on about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, he was kept on bringing up this idea of like doing that. That's the film left. That's the unfinished business. So I, I hope we uh, reconvene again to discuss. Yeah, I'd be interested uh, in, in like again, stylistically yeah. what changes because I feel like post Me Too, there's going to be some 
there's gonna be some changes in terms of like writing style or the interactions um guys let's let's head to the scores hello folks i'm sam and i'm martin and every week for the last five years we've got together to talk about the musician tom waits He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette <laughs> and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, he's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flixwatcher. So make sure you check those episodes out and when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. So the uh, Fixwatcher scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish and we will start with you, please, Jess, with your recommendability. Five. I think it's a culturally iconic moment. And I remember coming out of the cinema, um, uh, I was about 21 or, tw- no, 20, 23, maybe, 22, 23, I can't remember. Anyway, early 20s, and I came out of the cinema and I was so ad- adrenalised and I couldn't understand why. And it was because I had viewed this um, roller coaster right through the lens of a, a woman, you know, and I felt part of the fun in a way I didn't with Fight Club and I love Fight Club. But like, people, you know, I was like, oh, we have our Fight Club it's mine it's my time now so i i for that kind of coming out literally like buzzing and electrified uh i think it's important i think it is an, an essential part of your of your cinema history and listen if it's not for you i think it's still worth a look it's still fascinating it's still interesting carrie Jess, you're gonna hate me <laughs> no i'm not How about um, he's he's divisive and like this you'll get yeah, no argument I- there I personally would give it a three for recommendability. I feel like if you want to watch, as Jess said, an iconic piece of cinema and want to know about Quentin Tarantino's filmography, I'd be like, yeah, cool, Kill Bill's great. Would I um, suggest it when friends are over and they're like, oh, we want to watch an action film? I probably would think about other things. I would probably think in Glorious Bastards, but I am happy that I watched it. You know, for a party hang film... Mm. You can't go wrong with Inglorious Bastards, like because it's Arriva, just Arriva it's so episodic, yeah, and it's like, it's, yeah, it's very good. I think I don't know if, if I was bringing QT out of a party. I think Kill Bill would be very good because there's a lot of action that happens in it, and the visuals are striking. But for me, the the power in Inglorious Bastards is the is the dialogue, like that, that scene at the start with Christoph Waltz in the old cottage thing. There's a better than than cottage, but that scene. There's very little action in it, but it's still terrifying. And I couldn't imagine stopping a party and say, guys, let's watch this bit. But what's the... what's Kobe, you've forgotten how, because there's dialogue-heavy scenes, there is space for us to roast people in it. Like being like, oh, yeah, this guy's turned up again. Christoph Waltz. (laughs) Yeah. When I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of I'm the kind of person in a social circle that when we watch a film, we are always trying to make jokes and make each other laugh. So it, it's even better if there are like heavily scripted scenes because it just means we can just make fun of other things in the meantime. It just gives us space. And the entire reason I do a podcast with Tom and John is that we do not speak a word during films. It's like <laughs> the complete opposite. So this, this is the thing about me about cinemas reopening now. I've, I've forgotten in that 18 months that when people speak, it makes me want to literally pick them up and throw them out of the, mm. out, out anywhere and uh, stop them, stop them. 
<laughs> the terror <laughs> I feel when I open a bag of whispers is, is unlike any other. Yeah, Kobe's coming for you. He's coming for you, Carrie. <laughs> I will. Better watch out. I have a, I have a special set of skills. <laughs> uh, Helen, sorry, your, your recommendability score. So I think I was probably the same as you, Jess, when I saw it at the cinema and, and came out. The performance that Uma gives in this is such a physical performance. And also kudos to, um, so I think Zoe Bell, who's her stunt stunt double in this. The two of them together are just fantastic. And there are some bits that I feel maybe have aged a little bit. There's some of the kind of like uh, anime animation feels a bit like maybe unnecessary or a little bit of its time. But it's, it's, it's Uma's film. And even though my relationship with Quentin is very up and down, I I can't take it away from the fact that it's so iconic, you know, the the outfit, the fact that it's going to potentially be revisited. It's, it's one of those films that it was so different. It was so violent. It was really funny as well. The soundtrack was super cool. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 4.5. That's amazing. And listen, I would say as well, um, I love that you said it's in this film because don't forget, she came up with the story with Quentin, you know, as when they were on breaks, as filming Pulp Fiction, they kept kicking about this idea about a bride and I like, go, oh, a bride who's like covered in blood and just that image kept on coming to them. Um, so, and it is, like he does say story by Q and you, you know, so it's oh, not even okay. just the performance. It is, uh, it is, she's a co-creator of the whole concept and on set, they fought like cats and dogs, you know. Um, the relationship didn't go, just go sour with the car. I think the car was the culmination of, of a lot of things that had been bubbling under. Because she said, I know the world is cartoonish, but I have to bring the humanity to this. And that wasn't on the page. Otherwise, she's just, you know, a woman who kills five people. So um, I think that, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Uh, it's Uma's film and for Uma. Yeah, I'm going to go 4.5 as well. I think it's it's a must-see Quentin Tino film. I think it's actually one of the easiest watches as well, uh, even though it is ostensibly the bloodiest, uh, probably. And probably um, the longest. Is it the longest? Well, I mean, no, because because it's divided into two, it's actually got more brevity than more bloated efforts, such as yeah. Hateful Eight or Once Upon a Time in America, you know? There's, there is a... It, it feels defter than those efforts, mm. you know, even though ultimately put it all together. Yes, it's like, you know, gone with the wind. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, reading its own. To me, I found it went really quickly, you know, today I, as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I found that as well. And also that the annoying thing that um, Netflix does, it has part one, but not part two. Or it, it, that really, that really... I was very lucky that there was a DVD of Kill Bill Volume 2 lying around in my house. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to have to watch Volume 2 again. It, 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 I don't know what... They're missing out on a massive trick, I think, Netflix. Um, yeah, wild. Truly wild, guys. Sort it out. Repeat viewing score. Jess. Uh, I'm going to go four because there are some real twists and surprises. Um, now, I have to say, I still... I am still unearthing little gems, little moments, little things that pass me by... Um, little fixes, little tricks. So that's why four, I think, is pretty high in terms of rewatchability. But when you don't know, particularly the bombshell at the end, when you do not know uh, what's coming and it, it it's so fresh and bracing and new, um, I've got to just dock one because you do lose something from not knowing what's coming next. What, what bombshell, sorry? The bombshell at the end of volume one. Does she know her daughter oh, is still alive? Oh, yes, sorry, of course, of course. Yeah. 
genius, genius way to finish. Um, Carrie, rewatchability. I would give it a four as well, because it's one of those things that I might not actively recommend it to people, but if I'm hanging out at someone's house and they're like, oh, do you want to watch Kill Bill? I'm like, yeah, actually, let's just give it a go. Let's give it a whirl. Like I would happily, if suggested, would watch it again and would be happy to find, as Jess said, like hidden gems to pick up on. Even today, her reaction to discovering that she's, you know, she, her belly isn't pregnant. I had never really, that hadn't yeah. impacted on me. That impacted me in a way much differently as a, as a woman in her late 30s and like, you know, than like a 21 year old. Like I just was floored by that. And it, again, it's, it's it, she was, you know, because she was blowing whistles and complaining about Weinstein, they didn't um, market her as best actress as they should have, you know. Um, so she was thwarted on that front as well but yeah so you do I mean I've seen it like so many times and I did on even just today I was like ah I never clocked that before Helen repeat being cool yeah I mean Tarantino is one of those people who he makes his films like rewatchable like junk food really isn't it it's basically like (laughs) I could just shovel it in you're like yeah I'm loving this I'm loving this and then at the end you're like where did two and a half hours go like won't do that again and then you see it's on and you're like oh give me that give me that um, there's things because you like being able to kind of quote along or you know bits are coming or you learnt something new or you watch the film that he's kind of like stolen a bit from and you're like oh I know where that's from now I'm really clever that's what he does to you with all of his films and that's why you watch <laughs> them again and you're like oh I know now and you're like oh I know where this is actually from you don't need to tell me that's what he does to you so um, yeah I'll go with the four club in this one for a repeat viewing yeah, let's go for a four. Let's do it. the four party. I haven't seen Hateful Eight yet because it just, on the outset, it just seems too long. No. When I do watch it, I'm... I don't, How I'm long is it again? It's like three and a half hours or something like that. It's one Ew. for the completest. I'm allergic. Yeah, no. no, it's one It's one for the completest sitting right here. Like, yeah. And I totally get... Like, I have close friends who are like, I hate that film. Fuck that film. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not mad at you for holding that opinion. I still no. like it because I clearly have a problem and some sort of codependency issue with this man. But, you know, I, uh, yeah, there's, there's still bits that I love. And also it was great to see Tim Roth back um, in, think, in a Tarantino joint. So, yeah. yeah. I think the, but the way it's marked with, with an intermission, I was like, nah. No, you, <laughs> You're like, you lost dude. me an intermission, dude. Yeah. What do Come you on. think this is? Gone with the wind? Exactly. It's in the 1930s. It is not. Um, it is I think I'd be upset nice. if you did watch it. I'd be like, I told you. <laughs> I warned you. You had the warning. But I think you're not going to go Ostens- there. So. Ostensibly, I will watch it at some point. It's just, you know, I've got other things to do. Um, I don't know what my point was there with the repeat viewing score. There's, there's his films. I think up until up until Django, I could happily rewatch all of his films at any point in time. Someone just dropped it on, I'll rewatch them. But Django onwards... I'm like, I don't really want to watch Django again. Once upon a time, Hollywood. Yeah, I, I really, I quite enjoyed it, but watch it again, I don't know. Um, but this is on the side of, yeah, happily rewatch at any point. And I'm including True Romance in this as well. Yeah, it's a great film. And he, and he layers, he layers it together. As Jess says, it's things that you, you, you pick up in each rewatch. And that is part of his masterstroke in uh, early QT. Let's go to small screen score, Jess. I'm I'm going to say uh, four. Like, undoubtedly, you lose a little bit in, in the House of Blue Leaves sequence uh, on the small screen. Mm. But actually, it, it, it works really well on television. It's not like, it's not an obstacle. There's some um, dodgy, particularly in this sequel, actually, so I don't know if this is helpful, but like there, there are moments of like dodgy back projection and where things are meant to look a bit cheap. Um, yeah, like, like on the plane. 
Yeah, exactly on the plane. Now that works incredibly well on the small screen. It kind of looks like a, a, a slicker choice, like a more artistic choice than a kind of a jarring moment. So there are parts of it that really lend itself. This man loved his television so much growing up and all those influences are there. So it, it works really well. The budget was meant to be 30 million for both films and it, it went, it ultimately was 55 million and everyone was like, this is out of control. And looking back, that was a bargain. Those two films for 55 million, pretty, pretty special. So the kind of cut and shot bits of it, I think work really well on the small screen. So four. Carrie. I'm going to give it a two because I think the absolute, as, as someone who watched it for the first time, I could just feel the complete benefit if I watched it on a big screen. I mean, watching it on my TV was great. Um, it would be dreadful on like a laptop or an iPad in my opinion. But I think if my first experience was in a cinema, preferably with a bunch of friends, like having popcorn and just watching all the blood spill on people's faces, I feel like it would have been great. So mm. um, I don't know if I would necessarily get that on a, on like an, on like a phone. So I'm going to give it a two. Helen. Uh, I'm going to give it a three. Uh, it's, it's fine watching it on a TV if you've seen it before, but the experiences I've had have never matched that first time in the cinema with with an audience really kind of cheering and like, oh, this is grace. Um, and it, the soundtrack, like the soundtrack for me was immense. That was one of the big moments for me. Um, so, yeah, the soundtrack experience in the cinema. Yeah, Karen Rockman. I'm not sure if she did Kill Bill, but she did Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And she, Tarantino owes her a lot, man. Those music cues, you know, in, in his films. Like, she's doing the Lord's work for, for Tarantino a lot of the time. I'm pretty sure it was Karen, Karen, still Karen Rockman. And it was still Sally Menke as well, like one of his first, um, his original editor, you know, who's the closest he said he ever had to like a true collaborator. Oh. Good for him. Sorry, is that four, Helen? Three. Score. Three. Um, I'm going to go for... I don't, I don't think I've seen it in the cinema. I'm sure I would have remembered it if I had. Um, I had this thing with Quentin where I always kind of went, no, it's not going to It's not going to repeat himself again. It's not going to get better. And I was like, oh, shit. I, I watched it on, on, on DVD. I was like, yeah, it was, it was better than the previous one. Or I should have watched it in the cinema. I think it was in that phase. And then I, you know, I, I rescinded for Inglorious Bastards. Um, so I, I don't think I did. But I think I, I've had a good time on the small screens each time. Um, if it came on at the Prince Charles Cinema, I had two and a bit hours to kill. Yeah, why not? I'll pop in there. Um, and that gives, well, what's that score for me? 3.5? 3.5, I think. Um, engagement score. Yes. I don't think you can really turn this film off when you started it. Like, mm. if you, almost particularly if you've seen it before, because you're like, I'll just wait until the hospital. But I'll just wait until the... I'll just wait until another fight. So I'm going to give it 4.5 for engagement. If you were turned off by violence, by the way, it's a minus 7,000. Like, you know, (laughs) if you were squeamish, if you don't like blood and if you don't like bone crunching violence, like you're gonna, this is not for you. Don't stick around. Um, But if that that doesn't phase you. Once you've recommended it, then, then it's like, okay. Yeah. That's one of the questions you ask them, surely. Do you like blood or are you turned off massively by blood or fake I mean, Don't blood? ask that on a date, but yeah, ask that about this film. <laughs> um, yeah. 4.5 for uh, engagement. Engagement. Carrie. I said 
four because the only time I would stop it is if I'm in a rush. If I'm like, oh, I, I should leave now, but I want to watch the rest of it. But I, I would have to pause it and then come back probably when I'm home. But I, I don't think I would, I would have the nerve to stand my ground and watch the rest of it, sadly. Helen? Uh, yeah, I'll give 4.5 as well. Um, it feels short compared to the Quentin Tarantino films that kind of came after that are pushing them all to two and a half hours. Um, so yeah, this kind of zips along mostly because you want to get through the kill list. And I think then mm. with volume two, that's where that's why probably why it's not my favourite because the kill list killing off stopped a bit and we went back to the backstory. So, um, yeah, four, 4.5. I think I'm going to go five here. And I, sh- I should say mainly because this is only my second time watching it. So I- I'd forgotten a lot of what happens. Uh, I forgot about how uh, Benito was killed at the start through to the bombshell at the end. So I was like hooked and I did have to stop it. Uh, and each time, each time I was paused it or stopped it, I was like, oh, God damn, I need to get back to this ASAP. So yeah, five. And that gives us an overall score of 3.96875, just under four. Ooh. What it lost, small screen score, lost a bit there. But that's, that, that's, that's fair. That's QT. Guys, should we head to Twitter? If you're listening for the first time, or if you haven't joined us yet on, on Twitter, we are at FlixWatcherPod. Uh, on Twitter and do follow us because we've put a shout out before each episode that we record uh, and gives you the opportunity to hear your voice or well, hear your words as read out by our guests on the show. Uh, look out for tweets like this. We're chatting Kill Bill Volume 1 with Carrie Jomo from Lights Carry Action and it's Jess Regan from at Best Pick Pod. Have you seen it? Tells you score uh, and review out of five stars for a shout out. And we've got a few responses here. Uh, Jess, do you, see, do you have Twitter in front of you? Okay, so... Ah, now, Lee Thomas, I know that name. Uh, He says, my favourite cutie, fun, inventive and gory, already iconic. Thank you, Lee. Very much my uh, feeling too. I like to add for Lee Thomas's tweet, already iconic, babe, it is iconic. It's 18 years old. At this point, it's old enough to (laughs) cement iconic. That there's there's the social boundary there. Um, we Sorry, also have semantic. <laughs> yes, um, we have Liam H Dempsey's tweet saying, "My favorite of the two volumes: a relentless, roaring rampage of bloody revenge makes for a samurai action masterpiece. Uma is iconic, and QT's dialogue is as sharp as ever, but stripped back to let the action take center stage beautifully." Five stars. And Helen, last one. Recent guest David Trumbull. Ushering in the hyper-stylized second act of his career, Tarantino graduates to bigger budget filmmaking with the sharpness of a Hattori Hanzo sword. Frankly, works better as a standalone than a volume one, but that only speaks to its rewatchability. Oh, and Thurman kills five stars. Nice. Carrie and Jess, can you sign off by letting everyone know where we can find you online? And we'll say sayonara to the listeners. So, listeners can find me at It's Jess Regan on Twitter. Please do give us a follow. Uh, I tweet lots of film stuff and updates about our podcast. You can find us uh, at Best Pick Pod on Twitter as well. And you can email us at bestpickpod at gmail.com if you have a listen and you'd like to share some thoughts with us. And if you send us a particularly nice email, it might get read out. Carrie. Uh, you can follow the podcast Instagram at Lights Carry Action. Just 
basically lets people know when shows are out um and you can follow up my twitter at carrie jomo and it's mainly me trying to be me me and funny um if you want to boost my ego that'd be absolutely lovely and also yeah i have a personal instagram carrie jomo as well which is mainly just pictures of my dog so if you like any of those catch me there and guys obviously obviously you listen to podcasts so you like other podcasts you like film podcasts best pit pod carrie like sorry lights carry action go there type in your podcast app that you listen to right now um, and say hello to carrie and and jess thank you so much for spending time with us guys it's been great talking about kill bill volume one it's been awesome thank you so much guys thanks a million thanks for coming on thank you for having me it's been fun bye bye, bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R O K K Wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production 